0: Hi, I'm James, and I'm Drew, and welcome to Graphic Support Group, a mindful podcast for the design industry and
1: the self, where empathy and the creative cloud meet. Join us as we delve into the mind and soul of graphic design, from PSDs to PTSD. This is Graphic Support.
2: and I'm a freelance graphic designer based in New Milford, Connecticut. I just graduated from BU and I'm calling to ask how do you balance chronic pain with graphic design or being a graphic designer? Because I've struggled with this all through college because I have chronic back pain, chronic neck pain and I love graphic design but it is largely limiting in how I take care of myself because I have to be at the computer a lot and the posture. And I've been trying to do everything I can to maintain my passion for graphic design and working, but while also taking care of myself physically. And I feel like I don't hear this a lot in the graphic design community of how we can take care of our bodies better while we're designing or while we're practicing as designers. Like, right now, I chose to do freelancing after I graduated, and I've found that freelancing is much easier on my body, but I don't know if I'll ever be able to do a full-time role because I don't know what employers will be empathetic enough to tend to my needs physically and listen to me and believe me and value me still. So... I guess I'm stuck in this dilemma of how to become a serious and full-time graphic designer while maintaining my health and chronic pain and how do people balance that and how can we build a community to support that or raise that kind of issue so that more employers are more um, flexible and more um, they listen to us more and pay attention to these kind of pains in the profession. Thank you again for providing this kind of support to us, and I look forward to hearing all of your episodes. Thank you.
1: I think James and I can both relate in terms of at least mental health and dealing with some of those Issues in the workplace, or communicating with employers what we need from them in terms of like our own health and taking care of ourselves. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're alone there for sure, um, James. Do you have any initial thoughts? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for um, sharing your your
0: your experience, but also I'd like to commend you for being so uh, attentive to your body because I think a lot of us uh, forego a lot of those. Um, needs that our body clearly is telling us to take a break, be less stressed, um, get away from the screen, and you're being very attentive and careful with your with your health. So first of all, I'd like to thank you, uh, to, to commend you on that kind of attention to self. Uh, the second thing I'd like to say is that um, I think that part of the problem here is also finding a working environment that's good for you. Um, so I'd like to just emphasize that freelancing is not a lesser form of graphic design practice. In some ways, a lot of people aspire to it. So I think there could be a way to um, make that really work for you. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I also, I also think that one way of, I think one, one qualm that a lot of young designers, it seems like you recently graduated, have is like, I can't like, sustain a freelance design practice without any substantial professional experience. So you might be kind of thinking something along those lines. I think you can also try to find like contractual uh, working situations or kind of reach out to your network of designers or friends and see if they need help on certain projects. That's sort of a way to build that experience without having to like lock in a full-time job and sort of be beholden to the schedule of somebody else. But at the same time, I also think things are changing so much with COVID and People are becoming way more flexible in these jobs and uh, working from home is becoming a lot more common. And these are conversations that people are having a lot more in the interview process. So uh, you yeah. shouldn't necessarily feel afraid to kind of bring them up, despite the fact that you might not feel like you're the most seasoned designer in the room. Uh, I think it's still worth like telling people your needs and being upfront in a way that's respectful of them and taking their opportunity they're giving you seriously as well without you know putting your health Mm -hmm. on the line i mean i think first and foremost like take care of yourself take care of your body put that first go see the appropriate you know health professionals as you would with mental therapy uh, psychological therapy like maybe there's a physical therapist who can help kind of treat this issue a bit more and in a more substantial way and like give you some tips of like how to position your body while you're working, like what ways you could potentially sort of alleviate some of this pain and like what hours to avoid working, like what your diet could be. These are all things that will be helpful too. And I think like just taking it very seriously and not letting your kind of tendency to think that your help isn't worth this amount of time and thought is not, tr- should not be Uh, a thought that crosses your mind I think that the issue is ignoring it would be the worst thing so feel feel confident in in discussing this with with other people too
0: totally I commend you for reaching out because that's the first step uh, seeking support and uh, I'm glad that if we could be of any sort of help thanks back pain baby and again everyone the hotline is always open everyone. We're back for another great episode of Graphic Support Group. I'm James.
1: I'm Drew, and uh, we are here with, I'm going to try to get this right, even though she just told me how to say it, Hansche right. Van Hallam.
3: Yes, it's perfect.
1: Hansche von Hallem, who is a graphic designer whom both James and I are very big fans of, and I can personally say was very influential to me while I was in grad school looked at your work all the time was like, this is awesome. Have your uh, book. I have your little note that you wrote on the book that you (laughs) sold. So it's not with me right now, but, uh, I'm in Belgium right now away, but, uh, yeah, just to do a quick intro, that's from your website. I feel like you did a really great job on your website. So I'm just going to read it pretty much verbatim, but, um, Hanshe, uh, she gained recognition for her distinctive use of typography and geometric, almost psychedelic illustrations, but built on complex patterns. Um, she digitally scratches, draws, or weaves her letters and designs stamps, posters, and illustrations. Her design experiments sometimes lead to commission applications for public space, including a border fence at the Dutch Schiphol Airport. Her work is in the collection of Museum, amongst uh, others at the Steedlich Museum in Amsterdam, Museum Mermano, House of the Book in the Netherlands, and Museum für Gestaltung Zurich. I probably said that all badly. <laughs> Since 2017, Hansa is uh, the head designer of the music festival Lowlands, which is probably some of the most prominent work in recent years that many of you have seen and I know I've been pretty excited by. Um, so we're really, really excited to have Hancha here with us. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about your work and your world a bit.
3: Yeah,
0: we're super excited to have you. Thank you.
3: Thank you for this introduction. It makes me really nervous. <laughs> 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 I had no, uh, of course, I have an idea, but it, uh, it's it's strange to hear it from somebody personally. Um, well, yeah, thank
0: you. actually, let's dive right into that emotion. I think um, so. <laughs> one one theory, I think this will lead up into our question that we shared we, we shared with you beforehand. But one kind of uh, question I had for you was: you finished your studies in two thousand three, and then pretty immediately started your studio, um, and then you had a period of growth up until two thousand sixteen. And I was really wondering, like, how you balanced needing to um, kind of develop your work and style, but then also run a studio and kind of what kind of energy you had back
3: then? Um, well, run a studio is a very big word for somebody who just works from her student uh, room, like a dorm or a, I don't know how you call it. <laughs> I, I just had this small space. Uh, where I, I, I lived and where I worked as a student f- uh, from, for my uh, school projects. And after graduation, um, I just ha- ha- uh, got the opportunity to work on commissions. Like I got, I got a f- first phone call, and that meant I didn't have to go look for a job yet. And I still had my weekend job. And then after a while, I got a second phone call, and I thought, oh, I can, I can wait uh, with finding a job because I can do this small project. Um, and after uh, after a while, I realized I was so extremely busy that I could not uh, afford anymore to work on the weekends for my student job. so that's right. when I quit my student job. and then after a while, it was very strange to have have clients over in my bedroom. Uh, so <laughs> I I need to find a studio space and I, I knew somebody. Uh, who uh, could rent me a desk for 60 euros. So that was like mm. something I, I thought I could afford. And from there on, it just I took it step by step. Um, but you're asking about the energy. And I think if I look back at that period and the energy I had, it was just endless. I would work day and night and weekends. And uh, like for, for periods, there was just no social life only, only to talk about work or to talk about deadline problems. Wow. Um, so it was always a crash and burn situation. Um, uh, and that got me really nice opportunities and it was just such a nice kick to work for clients and to have your work uh, be used and uh, be commented on and uh, so that was just a a high I wasn't uh, on for years I think
0: but was there a moment where you like were able to look back on yourself and say like hey this is too much or did it come from an outside source
3: um well I had several occasions I remember one period and, uh, that I was just crying for a really long time just and I, I I had for me that was not a confrontation yet but if I look back on it that was really a signal like things were were getting was getting too much uh, but I got over it and I just continued as before and um in 2016 I had a, a an operation and i kept having uh, severe pain attacks from the operation and uh, they couldn't figure out what was wrong and uh, like everything was supposed to be normal and then after a lot of research just my uh, my doctor said mm, dear do like do you have a lot of stress and i said yeah but what what does it have to do with it uh, and um that was the first time that I realized, oh, I get these pain attacks when this certain client is on the phone, and then I then it started to connect that what what was really happening uh, was really through mental stress that my body was mm. just saying, okay, now it is it it's enough. And of course, having an operation, then you you create some weakness in your body where where the where the stress can release. Mm. Um, so I do think it is something to do with your body, but at that point I just couldn't imagine that. Um, that stress could have such an effect that you're above the toilets, throwing up blood for an entire night <laughs> and that it, that it just had to do with stress. Um, so that for me was a, where I ended up at, uh, well, in, in therapy for somebody to help me with dealing with the stress. And that was very helpful and it didn't take long to, to, to get insights. Right,
0: right. Right. Thank you for sharing that very, uh, that very painful experience but um i think drew was trying to ask uh where do you think that the stress was coming from so much is that what you wanted to say drew
1: yeah especially with that specific client you mentioned like is there something that you can kind of like give us a little insight into like what you unlocked in learning uh, where it was coming from
3: well in the in in the in the in this story there's uh, i actually there's two clients the one that um that gave me extra stress on the phone is not so relevant, but the the, the the night that I talked about that I was just above the toilet throwing up endlessly. endlessly and then the next morning uh, without any sleep wanting to go, I wanted to go to, to the meeting I was supposed to be at. And then on my way there, I, I was still on the side <laughs> on the side of the road throwing up. So I had to cancel my client crying. That was actually Lowlands Festival. And I didn't have yeah. so much stress. I didn't have so much stress over them because they're a super nice client, but I was working in a fashion that I had taught myself before. And that's the crash and burn method. And for lowlands, that's an ongoing thing, 11 months a year. It just like, once you finish it the next day, they'll have a new question you, that you have to answer. And sometimes it's busy and sometimes it's, it's, it's not so stressful. Uh, but I, I wasn't used to the fact that there was no period of recovery. Um, so for me, this crash and burn method didn't work for a, a long-running project like low land, Lowlands. So that was the first time that I had no option for uh, recovering from this bad way of working, this destructive way mm. of working. Right, right, um, right. So for me, that was the period that I really had to evaluate my way of accepting projects or accepting interviews or, or uh, studio visits or all these extra things you do around the design work itself, and also to to get uh, help from people to really hire somebody to to help me, and um, that really changed my practice. Just, just I think thanks to Lowlands, uh, I was able to build a nine to five job instead of a twenty four seven job.
0: Right, right, right. That's a, that's a very important wake up
3: call. <laughs> it was <laughs> very necessary, <laughs> also. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's interesting because the way you were describing that crash and burn sort of approach. You can definitely see that in the work, especially like that time that maybe you're, I don't know like exactly the timeline, but like, I'm curious because the work does look like, you know, uh, intense in that way, like almost like it took a lot of effort and like pain to get to make, but actually it has like an exuberance to it. So I don't know. They're, they're, I'm I'm curious not to get into that whole like. Do you think it's necessary to struggle to make this type of work? But like I am curious about that.
3: For me, it was necessary because it was part part of me worked really hard because it was very insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wasn't sure if I was if my design was good enough. I wasn't like I, I felt very bad that people promised me money and then um, I had to live up to that promise in some way. And uh, for me, it was uh, for me. It was as long as I can prove that I worked really hard, things will be okay. So it was. Yeah. But the good thing about it is that because I worked really hard, I made a lot of progress, and I had a lot of extra uh, ideas just laying around um, that I could not. Because for every project, you can only execute one thing, and I made three hundred or fifty right, or right. way too much. Um, so for me, it. it I do think in the end it was a good investment to to crash and burn right. <laughs> over yes. and over again because i learned so much and i have so much uh luggage design luggage at this moment uh that it allows me to have a, a better life in the end mm-hmm. but i did up the first like 10 or 15 years of my adulthood, i think yeah
4: Welcome back, it's been a while. You have had some time to breathe, to think, to recuperate, to take life in and explore. Yet you wonder, what if your creativity doesn't return with you when you sit back in the studio chair? What if your insights come slower than usual? What if you can't be the designer you always dreamt of? Fear consumes you as you struggle with adapting back to this new pace. The slow but intense click of the mouse. The heavy clacking of the keys. The slack alerts. The bubbling email notifications. And though it's a familiar rhythm, it's hard to tap back into that flow that once came so naturally. You wonder about your ability to focus and thrive through this cacophony. But you have been here before, and you will return here again, many times. Life is long and short at the same time. There's no need to worry about what-ifs. You have creativity within you, and your passion will discover new ideas that excite you, if you let it. Take a look inside and at all the inspiration around you. Don't ask what if, ask what next.
2: So on
0: that note of insecurity, I think you mentioned when we were probing about your work that you felt this need to put in the hours. Um, can you speak about like where that insecurity comes from or came from? Because it's not like you're not a trained graphic designer. You're educated in graphic design. Mm-hmm. But um, was there something else that you were trying to overcome?
3: Hmm... No, I'm not sure um, I, I, I think it's just the general fear of failure so it doesn't matter how well trained you are but you're still afraid that you will fail or you will um, you'll make you'll, you'll disappoint that I, that I would disappoint somebody uh, because I just wanted yeah. to do good and in some cases it was also because I thought it was a really really good opportunity and I also felt that if I would do one bad project, that nobody would call me again. Mm. And after having done some bad projects, I realized, oh, they just only look at the good stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, uh, I, think, um, I think over the years, the need to prove myself, kind of, I got a little bit more relaxed about it. But in the first years, I really, really had the urge to prove that I was worth it in some way. Right.
1: Well, do you think that it comes from, uh, you know, the fact that your style or the things you're interested in are kind of unique and potentially like you can't help but do that style, it seems, or like kind of be drawn to this kind of way of working, but it isn't necessarily standard or typical, obviously. So do you think that there's something in there where it's like you, you know that it's not like for everyone, so to speak, but like if you show that you've done enough work, then it becomes like, oh, but they can see the work, so they're not gonna question it kind of thing.
3: Well, I think the first part you were mentioning that what I do is unique. I think that's what, I, to, re, to rephrase it. When when you're in the middle of it, you have no idea. I, I have no clue. It was, is, I think only now after years and after seeing like the timeline of my portfolio grow, um, I think, oh, that this girl's maybe a little bit crazy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But when I'm in the midst of it, I think uh, I usually like my way of sketching is I open a file and I start working and I hate it and I open another file and I try something else and I hate it. And I continue like that for quite a while. And of course it's a kind of a negative voice in my head saying Oh, this is bad oh this is ugly but that's really the train i'm on at certain points i got more relaxed about it and think oh this is like the first ugly thing i'm making but i need more ugly things so it's not the voice is not so negative anymore and um uh but i'm always hunting for discovery so when i'm in this design path i just i just want to make something that i don't recognize and at the point that I think, okay, I there, I have no association, I have no, rec- I, I don't recognize it, I don't even know if it's ugly or beautiful. That's where I hunt for and try to continue. So this is really mm. this urge of being um, um, <clears throat> original. In that, I think that's my main uh, ambition to be original in the things that I'm uh, allowed to make. And um, and that costs a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's actually a really beautiful statement that you're. And I, I can feel that urge to discover something that's that scratching away at the surface to find something new. I think what I'm, and it actually explains to me a lot of my suspicions about the way you work, because what I'm very curious about is that mental state that you are in when you're like locked in and you're doing these super, super detailed things. Like, I'm curious about like what motivates you to take some of your systems to that extreme and then also, what the feeling is like when you're in that deep focus. <laughs> well, I usually that, see, that's what it appears like. Yeah.
3: yeah, but I think you're right. I think you have a good hunch on, on what's happening. Um, <laughs> I I think I usually feel it in the tips of my fingers when it things are going like there's this certain uh, tinkling or like you you just feel this yeah. vibration in my fingers, and that that's when I know okay this something is happening, and then. Uh, Lately, I send like the design to my phone to just see like how how, like is it really good or to to, Just to also take it home and uh, look at it uh, like the next morning Like is it good Mm -hmm. because I I don't I don't recognize it always when it's if it's good. I I need to 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 meet it again to see it. with uh, fresh eyes and um, uh, I kind of forgot your question (laughs) Oh I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm
0: curious about the psyche, like uh, and what what that what that level of detail does for you mentally?
3: Um, well, I think in the beginning, it was also soothing like but but then I, that that's already when I'm at the point of having decided, okay, this type of design system is working. Now I have to do it. And for years, it was a lot of manual digital labor. So I would, would literally do all the clicking, click by click by click. And um, and I knew that it would just take me hours and hours. Um, but it was also uh, in the time when I was doing a lot of crash and burn work, this clicking was also a way of taking a rest and working at the same time. So mm-hmm. I, could, I could be very tired and think, okay, but i just sit here, play some music, do some clicking. And uh, for me, that was also a way of uh No, taking like a little holiday. Mm. <laughs> I think it's similar yeah. to knitting. If somebody sits down yeah. and knit, yeah. yeah. So I would make sure that I built in this type of work um, to be productive and taking a rest at the same time. Of yeah. course, at a certain point, you get the repetitive strain injury, like the <laughs> the yeah. mouse the mouse arm. So that was also problem. Carpal problems. tunnel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, carpal tunnel. Uh, I, I've had that for a couple of occasions. Yeah, and um yeah. and if you have that for uh, if you encounter that physical problem uh you try to become sm- smarter and learn more illustrated tricks
0: i um mm. i weave and i i i picked up weaving actually during corona um, not necessarily <laughs> like it wasn't like i'm stressed and i'm anxious so i have to weave but it was like something i really wanted to do and then now i have all this abundance of time on my hands cuz i'm not meeting people but what i found was my working style is very like fueled by anxiety and I can relate to this need for like finding, like scratching through all the ugly stuff to find the beautiful thing. Like I can really relate to that. then I can also really relate to that moment where it's like, okay, I figured it out. And now to get to, to get this basic pattern to its extreme, I need to put in eight, 10, 15, 20 hours of doing the same thing over and over again. Mm Um, So I can kind of relate to that, that give and take and that pull. Um, But I'm also curious about that initial stage that you're saying, like, look, you're like, this is ugly. So I'll do something new. Uh, This is ugly. I'll do something new. It's like that struggle mentally. How, how, um, how is that dialogue like?
3: Well, in in my beginning years, it was always always resulted in some kind of panic, Um, but I got I got better at it and now i know it's just uh something i have to go through um and so i, you know, I make my sketches i upload the uh, illustrator files into an InDesign document so i can just flip through it as a book uh, i make prints uh, and then the next morning i take a look at, at which ones are good to to work on and sometimes it's the first sketch and sometimes it's the last but it, it more often is one of the first ones uh which means if you train to look better, you can skip all the ones after. Um, so it's, it's not always a development. Sometimes it's just shooting for uh, for different options. Um, and uh, but for me, it's yeah. I, I see it as research in some way, and uh, training myself. And I think it's also a matter of sometimes there's this little obsession or something that failed uh, in a previous project or I didn't get a a complete hold of, like how it works. Or uh, so I continue that system and build it into something else. Um, And for many projects, I go back to the sketches for old projects and uh, see if there's a starting point for something.
1: I, I, yeah, similarly, like I'm curious how often you find yourself in a situation where you're like on the fence about whether or not to start putting in those hours because you're not sure if it's good enough. For that stage and that or how often you got to a place where you put in like 10 hours on something you thought was viable and then you found out that you didn't like it anymore because that
3: it always all those that both happened um i got better at uh well first i should uh i have really nice clients in general people because I'm, i'm so pronounced in what i do the people who choose uh to hire me for something they really know what they want out of me um, and, uh, so what I, what I train myself to do is to not be so scared anymore and talk to clients in a very early stage after maybe sketching too little, but I just make some proposals or not, not proposals. I make some uh, experiments for myself. And then I talk to the client to see which, which one has the better, uh, better option of becoming the final design or the, the start of a final design. And that saved me so much hours, because then you don't have to make the, the decisions yourself. Uh, you can yeah. kind of feel the temperature at the client. Um, and you can like look with, with a different view back on the sketches. And I, I got... Uh, so that's kind of, I think, my... Um, Winning the insecurity, winning from the insecurities, just to invite people to take a look at your work when you know it's not finished, when you know it's not good enough. Um, but because I have, I have done so much, people have the trust that it will result in something good, mm-hmm. even though it's yeah. a good year.
1: I mean, I think that's like sort of the classic case where almost every designer that I know or myself included like wants to get to a point where they're chosen for exactly what they do and then Mm -hmm. that trust is built into like oh we chose this person because so it's like that's amazing firstly but also just thinking about like you know the classic question of like the Beatrice Ward crystal goblet thing where it's like you know obviously your design work is is so so stylized that it is the the, the work is like integrated like the typography is in, is integrated into the design and into the kind of aesthetic you can't separate this sort of ornamental kind of quality from the information which is part of what makes it so exciting but what what do you think i guess what am i even asking i'm sure you've had to reckon with some of that as a designer when you started out like how did you kind of land where this is where you knew you wanted to be anyways, regardless of, uh, I'm
3: not, I'm not sure. I completely understand the question, but I can tell a little story. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, um, in school I was trained by postmodernist uh, designers like experimental yet said, maybe Van Derse, uh, goodwill, uh, all uh, designers that were, um, very good at, Getting the essence out of a design without too much ornaments and illustration, like the less is more. And when I uh, graduated, I uh, well, I just thought paper's white, typography is black, and you have a concept, and that's how you how you do your design. And from there on, I I started to own my paper a little bit more, step by step, by just adding a line, and then realizing, hey, my client is not saying anything about this line that is not really necessary for the communication. And from there on, I started to own more space. On the other hand, I was doing book design, which is very, not very formal, but you know, you don't want to, it's not a platform for you as a designer. It's, it's an editorial task. And then in the meantime, I was making drawings just out of soothing myself or discovery or waiting or feeling guilty or whatever kind of <laughs> emotional. <laughs> emotional <stuff. laughs> um, and that, kind of ended up in smaller projects Um, and there I got like I really like patterns because they there is some magic in patterns that when it's right it's right and it it can be complex it can be simple Uh, but I thought it's also too easy in a way Uh, and typography is something much more um, uh, complicated because there's so many rules and so many reasons why your brain recognizes it as one letter or doesn't recognize it or recognize that the H as an N or whatever. Uh, so I wanted to combine those two in a way. And I, because I like making letters also because it's nice to make a tool for, for language. Certain, like you can make it and then use it later. It's two separate things. And, um, but I thought it's too easy to, to have a, a letter put on top of a pattern. Uh, I wanted to make it more mathematical, in a way, or complex, or more like weaving, I think. Um, so that's, that's kind of uh, something that I didn't grow out of yet. I'm, I'm I haven't solved the problem. Um, I hope to continue sometime <laughs> at some point thinking, Oh, that was the, like the, the period that I was working with patterns. But um, what, were
1: you? Were you ever self conscious about that having coming from this sort of more it's interesting because you're you're talking about theoretical postmodernism, but but which is very different from formal, like I guess not postmodernism, but formal experimentation and ideological postmodernism aren't always they don't go hand in hand, right? Because like someone like experimental jet set, obviously they have some formal interest, but using Helvetica black and white is like very restrained. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, did you feel self-conscious? Like, yeah, yeah. Did you feel self-conscious, like, oh, I'm not allowed to do these things? Or was it more like, I don't care, like, I just want to?
3: No, I I think I did it very step-by-step. It felt like um, violating the rules, in Mm. a way. Um, But the funny thing was, in 2017, I was invited to make uh, a side exhibition to a postmodernist exhibition. And they wanted me to react on the postmodernist. And I said, I don't (laughs) want to react. And then I found this piece of text... Written by, I think he was called Paul Schuitema. I don't, I, I don't see any design popping up in my head for what he did. But he said that um, postmodernists were, and then there was this list of all the things that postmodernism is about and all the things they hate. And I checked everything; they <laughs> <I> hate it. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> and I'm talking, I'm talking about the 1930s. Um, uh so I made an exhibition with only uh, decoration patterns. Uh it was just a, a horror vacui uh fear of empty empty spaces uh exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um where I think like over sixty patterns were combined and uh I thought, hmm, this is really uh a comment on postmodernism <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that like the in the manifestos that it was like what the old fashioned people did.
1: It's like the arts and crafts movement on like psychedelics or something like
2: that
4: support now? We love hearing from the design community. Call us at 202-507-9158. Please share your story with us after the tone. We'll do our best to respond on our podcast. Please leave a name or alias, design role, and location. Thank you for your call.
0: design system that you see Uh, and then the idea of coming up with systems is very like orderly and also very controlling but you get to a point where that system seems to start to break apart so i'm curious about that internal fight where it's like i made this system and i'm going to use this system let me see if I can destroy this system <laughs> <laughs> and,
3: and, and where can you give me an example on where you see um, this
0: well so there's a there's a lettering uh, example ah the wind typography so if yeah. we, we look at the wind typography there's one module right or several modules mm-hmm. and you're aligning the module but then uh, as you test the different directions that these modules these these Things can go, especially when it comes into motion. It seems like this system is like it's—it's it's like the computer cannot compute anymore. It's like there's too much information. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious about this, like this level of restraint versus chaos. Like where do you push yourself to break the rules, or as well establish the rules? That that well, relationship.
3: I think if we take wind as an example, which which is in the end was published as a variable font. Um, in my design, I'm always, because I work static, but uh, of course, working in Illustrator, there's always so many options, even within one particular space, uh, that I always have to, to choose like which stroke width, which, uh, how many degrees of rotation. Um, and it is not that I try to break, a, break the system, but I try to look, like there, it's always like, at one moment in time, it looks perfect and you still work with the same systematic but it's some like and that's what i like also with my poster work i do for the gallery block c um it it, it is all a system but at some points it falls apart and that's that's the optical illusion of it so it's not that i'm breaking the system but i'm trying to find out systems that work under certain certain conditions mm-hmm. if you have the right distance or the right angle or uh, And I think it's nice because you put your brain to work in some way. Mm -hmm. Not me as a designer, but me as a spectator. Um, I mean, I think
1: also what you're getting at is like this sort of order versus disorder or order versus chaos. And I feel like, you know, the reason why patterns are kind of boring at a certain point is because they're too consistent. Like if you Mm -hmm. ever look at a shirt where it's like, oh, I can see that this pattern's repeated like too few times. And I know where the seams are, you know, or whatever. Like, I feel like what you're doing is sort of a balancing act where you're like, I'm going to create a system that the interruptions of the system are the typography itself is actually an interruption of the system or the pattern. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's sort of like where that's where the typography, where the things are supposed to be legible, where information is being presented to, to us is actually sort of an intentional mistake or something, you know, it's like an apparition in this otherwise perfect structure yeah so it's it's almost the opposite of how typo- typography usually works so it's mm-hmm. like negative space or it's sort of like an inversion so I don't know I think that maybe you're you're trying to invert them like on purpose like sort of like I want the thing that's supposed to be the clearest to be the part that's actually like <laughs> the apparition of yeah. this like system I don't know it's this is like so too like- analytical but
3: no, but it, it's also a way of rebelling against the things that I was taught in school, and that was not at the Rietveld uh, with the postmodernist uh, type of education. But it was I was in a uh, very classical um, uh, design education two years before, and uh, there they were doing the stone carving and the calligraphy uh, and really the the classical uh, uh, typography type design uh, things. And there I was told a letter is always black and white, there's no in between. Um, And when in my graduation year, I made uh, uh, a type experiment, which resulted in the scratch letter, which is a lot of different drawings of of the similar uh, letter uh, piled on top of each other and this was this was 2003 my computer wasn't able to compute it um, and uh, a thing like such as variable fonts was uh, way out of sight yet, uh, at that point uh, but there I proved to myself like okay if you look at one single layer it is black and white but if you, if you pile all these um, hairlines on top of each other you create variations of gray which to me is a color or a texture and for mm-hmm. me, this obsession with not making... Okay, I'm, I'm not so much interested in making a letter shape, but I'm interested in making a, a texture to a letter. I think that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And uh, I usually just like type any uh, existing letter form and build on top of that letter. And I used to c- constrict myself only to work around the letter. And after a while, I thought, okay, I can also grow this system and mm-hmm. use the whole paper and, and, and just... Uh, have this letter shape be part of the of the space it's in yeah Um, I mean similarly
1: to like kind of add on top of that like this desire to sort of like push against what something should be or shouldn't be um, yeah I'm curious like oftentimes at least for me that feeling comes from like a a boredom With Mm -hmm. like the things I'm seeing or like the, the, the work that I'm like being told is like the highest bar to achieve. Yeah. Like, and maybe boredom is just another way of rephrasing like insecurity because I don't think I'm even capable of doing that type of work at that level. Like, it's like, not only do I not find it interesting, but I'm intimidated by it, which pisses me off because I don't even like it.
3: Yeah, well, we probably boils down to not being comfortable with it in positive yeah. or negative sense. Uh, I do recognize that because I have never really liked graphic design. <laughs> I've never understood it. I don't like it, uh, but I love to do it. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, strange, yeah. Like, like being a musician but not liking music. That's yeah, strange, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. um, but I I yeah, of course I do like a lot of things that are designed but not uh like if people ask me like what designers do you get inspired by and i'm like i don't get inspired by design um sorry no yeah well i
1: think they like that's one of the interesting things too it's like you can tell in truly exceptional work that it's not alluding to other versions of the type of work like it's it gets past it transcends its own categorization which i think is like what everyone sort of not everyone is interested in doing that but i think the people who do it know what that feels like and that's and that's kind of what you were describing before where it's like i'm not sure if this is beautiful ugly good or bad and that's like that's when 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 you're totally unsure of what it is that's when you've succeeded
3: yeah, but I'm not sure because also I don't look around so much on uh, what other people are doing. I've, right, I've had, right. I don't know if you know Ralph Schreifogel.
2: He's yeah. a Swiss- What's movie. their name?
3: Ralph Schreifogel.
2: Schreifogel.
0: Yeah. Hmm. He's an amazing I, poster designer.
3: Yeah. But I managed to like proudly present a new type experiment I did and showed it to him and his class that we were doing a studio visit and then two years later discovering discovery uh, discovering that he 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 made the exact same invention like 10 years before.
1: <laughs> like, right right
3: that was me realizing like, oh you should sometimes investigate what other people are doing
1: but i think um, that there's like a there's a beauty to that sort of innocence too where it's like you, you people arrive at the same sorts of conclusions mm-hmm. But the thinking can be completely different and and it's never going to be exactly the same. That's why I find like these lawsuits, particularly around like songwriting, where it's like, oh, I wrote the same chord structure and it's like being sued by this other person who wrote a song that sounded that way. It's sort of like, well, yeah, there's only so many notes, chords. and And like the reason why it was good is because it's the person responded to it. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I feel like but I feel like not looking and not being kind of in that conversation yourself is sort of. Yeah.
3: well with my work for um lowlands music festival my client is very aware of what's happening around them and in what order is happening like who did it first and who did it second mm-hmm. so i do get, like they sometimes send me a, a link or a screenshot or whatever like hey have you seen this have you seen that and i just say well well maybe i should be more original next time and they <laughs> said no they copied it <laughs> they copied it from <laughs> us and i'm not too sure like um right they it, it, it you'd never know about the what, what fashion is doing or um maybe i'm maybe i've been making too uh, work that's too obvious or uh should step it up next time so um yeah i don't i don't know. i mean
1: to be blunt like people are most likely ripping off your style but <laughs> <laughs> i don't i think <clears throat> probably less of the latter but no, i've only
3: uh, faced lawsuits once and that's <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah it's it's all like super interesting just to think just to like kind of engage with you about some of these kind of this like restlessness or this sort of need to kind of define something that you don't recognize like where do you think this desire for the unrecognizable comes from
3: what's the use to do something if, if it's if it's already there like then you're just making uh another one um, mm-hmm. i don't like i I was brought up by artistic parents. my father's an artist, my mother's been teaching fashion in art school and was working at the, the opera uh, in the fashion department and um so i I've always been surrounded by people who had the urge to be original, so for me it's not even original to want to be original <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, it's, yeah it's quite it's quite normal to uh, mm-hmm. to want to make something new,
1: yeah right.
3: Um, I'm
0: kind of curious, actually going back to your break in 2016 about, and this kind of relates to these, these matters of control that we're talking about, but you said you had to hire people and it changed your practice in in a lot of ways, but in some ways it feels like the work is so intrinsically your own. I'm curious how that process of learning to help translate it to
3: other people was like. Um, well, for, for my design proposal for Lowlands, I made a lot of sketches similar to how I would approach any other small or big project. And then I ended up with a drawing um, where I said to my clients, let's not fall in love with this one because this only this one image took me four hours to draw. Wow. So that's impossible to do for 250 uh, band names and whatever uh, like short notice uh, alterations they needed. And then I showed the work to Just van Rossum, who is a, a type designer and a programmer here in the Netherlands. Mm. And he's famous for, me, for making Beowulf and, uh, mm. in the late, late 80s. He was the first one uh, with, his, uh, with Le Terror um, mm-hmm. to make uh, very elaborated type experiments on the digital level. And uh, I showed him these images, and he said for the particular one that took me four hours, he said, hey, but how did you make it? It looked very systematic, and then it turned. He said, "Well, I think I can make it into a script. We can we can make a, a, a Python script for it, and then you can just type in any word, and it will just transform it into that system." So after a few days, he already had a first prototype. Wow! And then he said, "Oh, but you can all, when when we have this, you can also make the change." So I have this script with all these different parameters, and I can just change the numbers for a lot of uh, like a lot of different things. And all these things came out of that machine, uh, we call it the machine, um, that I had never uh, been able to make in illustrator click by click. But by making this, like, tr- like he calls it the industrialization of my type system. And uh, that allowed me to collaborate with other people because my way of working was not taking four hours per image, but seconds per image. Uh, so I could give the tool to somebody else and say, okay, the, the, these these are the rules, this is how we play, or please play a little more and and uh, we talk about it. So I, I didn't hire, but I collaborated with Marjolein Rinkes, who was a, a recent graduate at that point. And we discovered uh, all the options of our design script together. Mm-hmm. And then after a year, I thought I was a bit fed up with the... Um, the little loops we made as an animation, and you know, we collaborated with Yurian Hosu, who's a, a great animation, uh, uh, animation designer, motion designer, and uh, and that was a great team. Like just for so, and every time we had something that took us too much work, like if we did a lot of post script processing, we went back to the programmer and say, Hey, we we do this twelve steps with this one image. Can we program the steps? So then, then so we built this uh, dream machine, which is just a Piece of text which is run, and then you get a vector image or uh, uh, animation. So that was my first opportunity to collaborate with people where my handwriting was not connected to me anymore. And we've been following the same system for, I think we're going into the so I think 18, 19, 20, uh, sixth year. Uh, and I think I'm now at the ger- the third generation of uh, script. So it's completely different now. Um, wow. uh, so, yeah, that was a super big eye-opener. And I've also gotten a little bit more lazy since then. <laughs>
0: uh, that's a great integration of technology coming into into
1: collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because it's like, you know, I feel like a lot of work is being made now through processing and like P5JS. You know, I wonder what you think about that kind of way of working because it sort of removes the kind of struggle or the meticulousness. I mean, coding is meticulous in its own right, and coding has its own sort of uh, need to be very precise and prescriptive and like spend tons of time on it, but
4: mm-hmm.
1: it does have that kind of like connotation of, like, well, a computer's just at the end of the day making this, whereas I did it with my bare
4: hands. (laughs) Well,
3: um, I still think... uh, I'm I'm kind of hung with the the fact that I don't know what meticulous means. I should Google it.
1: (laughs) It means, like, detail-oriented to a degree that's, like, maybe
3: not human. Yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, for me, personally... um, Realizing that what whatever I did was... I think most of my work, uh, uh, on, in hindsight, is scriptable, uh, but I made it step by step. And uh, to realize that, that a machine can do it uh, was an eye-opener and it didn't make things faster. I just... It, it didn't save me time, but it just gave me so much more options. So I could mm-hmm. explore mm-hmm. This, one, this one system which, which felt like the end result, like like there's like a, a whole travel to this one end result. And now this end result was a starting point for so many uh, different things that just didn't uh, take all the four hours per drawing anymore. Right. Um, right. So I like I like the, the the fact that scripting can do that, just open more and more doors. Um, mm-hmm. What I find hard about it is that uh, I, I reckon, or again, that client, uh, Lowlands Festival, points out work and say, Hey, but this looks like your work. And I said, well, it looks completely different, but I understand what you're saying because it's, it has the same uh, thought behind it because it's, it's dividing the, 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 the topography and the background into a script, uh, into a grid, and it's, it's breaking up the grid and connecting certain elements to the grid and making it move in, in according to different rules. Um, so if, if people start to see through, like, it's like tasting the ingredients of something you eat. And as soon as you, as soon as you're on that level, it's not the magic anymore that what what the yeah. ingredients make together. Um, and for me, it was kind of painful to to realize, like, ah, oh, shit, people know, people are now working with the same ingredients, and I'm not original in that sense anymore. So I have to make another step mm-hmm. uh, and not and not be stuck on uh, only treating this particular system.
0: I actually had a a totally different question this is actually i think (laughs) a question i think more about the situation in the netherlands um but you know as our podcast is growing we're thinking more about support and the idea of support and americans have this notion or this misconception that like oh it's so easy to be a designer in the netherlands because there's government support for design work um but I, I kind of want to break the myth about that both on a positive and a negative. So like um, I'm wondering, like with the ability to get government funding for your work, does that help the sort of psychological uh, need? Does that like alleviate some of the, the pressure to like constantly being working on commercial commissions or does that create more competition between designers um, just kind of what, what that does.
3: Well, I think the, <clears throat> what you're referring to is probably uh, already, I think in 2008, the government stopped financing a lot of uh, cultural institutes. Oh, right, right. Uh, and I think in 2011, all their, like, they have like four-year budgets. So in 2011, um, the money was gone for a lot of institutes. Um, But I I did benefit for a long time, or for the first years, from this heavily supported um, system. Uh, So when I graduated, I could apply for a START uh, fund. I think one out of ten people who applied for it got it. And I I think it was enough money to live off for a year. Um, And... um, uh, that's, I think, that's things that are not happening for, for graduates right now. It's not so, yeah. e- like, there's, there's only f- like a handful of people who get that funding, and before it was 10%. Right. Um, and before it was uh, like, if a lot of my clients were funded, so it was not me directly, but I was hired by funded clients. And because it was funded, uh, they, I, I usually got like open briefs, like, you make a book, and I, I, I made a crazy book. And they said thank you, and nobody uh, was talking about uh, uh, if it should sell or if it was communicating or uh, all these uh, things that that work more in a market economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would really gave me like the first five or six years, I, I got to build a portfolio upon fake rules, like mm-hmm. if, like an ideal bubble. And I did notice years later that uh, the the rules changed, like the marketing. Uh, uh, Employees of the of the museum were getting more influential on how the design should look because blue communicated better or square communicated better. All these theories that I thought mm, I'm I'm not too sure, but you're the wall I'm hitting. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I'm, um, so uh, so that was kind of uh, I think a big break, uh, and that was also when I saw that a lot of clients who would before go to like uh, one-person studios like me and now went to the bigger communicating studios because they wanted to have the uh, communication advisor and uh, all, like all the all the stuff around it mm-hmm. uh, so okay. the, the, the like the design like the i think for the first half of my career i could use projects like that as a design platform and that disappeared it really became something that they needed to get more people in or uh, communicate and now i'm in this completely different level that it's i'm not not being asked for that type of projects anymore so i don't really know how that's going Um, but i do know that i had way more opportunities than people who were graduated right now I think a lot of people just still work at, in bars. uh Well, they're currently shut, but um uh, and uh, like sell their work on Etsy and uh, and try to like make a living from there on. So, right. Mm-hmm. I was
0: just wondering, like that kind of having access to such support, like because you know. As you're describing, the marketplace for work as a designer these days for young young designers is very precarious. It's the, the employment situation for young people in general is very precarious. But I'm curious, like for you, being having access to that kind of funding, was it empowering or was it, okay, I can take my time or like what kind of the...
3: For me personally, it took a, a strange turn because it was not about the money, but it was about the committee who, who, gave, who ah, saw my work. Okay. Yeah. So I went into a network and I, uh, I think it was five people deciding to give me the money and all five of them gave me really, really nice assignments. And those assignments mm-hmm. were way more important than that money. Like I bought oh, a printer okay. money and uh, I don't know, software or something. Um, so for me, it was uh, was being in the network was mm. turned out to be much more uh, valuable. Um, and some people I still work for that I met through uh, the committee that chose my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that um, my I think my my work is still or my uh, practice is still very fictive, not real. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't. Uh, Lowlands is my most commercial client, right? And and all the other things are uh, are um, cultural, and I think they're all funded. And I think my best work I make for free, like the, the poster series for the gallery Luxe uh, 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 is is on. Uh, like I make it for free. So. Wow! Mm.
1: Wow! I was I was gonna ask a very sort of I feel like I'm we're doing some like yanking around in terms of like which side of the brain we're talking to, but I was gonna ask uh, if there is like a sort of spirituality or a meditative sort of aspect to the work you do I know you mentioned like getting kind of like having like this sort of passive and active mode that kind of helps you like feel like you're like taking a break even when you're working but I'm curious because of the nature of the work looking so like kind of overwhelming is a word that I would use to describe it in a positive way uh, maximalists like psychedelic like these are sort of the, the work that you're doing is sort of how people describe like moments of transcendence, right? It's like,
2: <laughs> uh, there's
1: so, too many colors. There's too there's like so many things I'm happening and I don't understand them. And that's why I, I'm in awe, you know? Uh, is there any spiritual sort of psychedelic like background to that? Or is it more, is that your like moment of Zen is like finding that?
3: <clears throat> well, like, I'm, I I'm thinking I'm thinking. Uh, do you know what bobbin lace is? Like this Brussels lace.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. So that, I'm in that's, Brussels right now. So yeah, that's why I, why I mentioned <laughs> it. But um, so a lace is something that now you see on the, on lingerie, uh, like your bra or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, through tradition, it was made. It, it is made with um, like forty or sixty or eighty uh, little wires, and you mm-hmm. jump you jump them around in a certain system, and then you make fabric with with patterns mm-hmm. in it and um in the in the golden age uh the richer the people were uh, the more lace or the more um uh mm-hmm. lace they were and that, that's where you got these the the typical colors the the, right. the um i don't know it's like, like elizabeth
1: Queen Elizabeth, yes. like,
3: yeah. yeah. And that's all, like, to, to show them, like, because it, it costs, like, four hours per centimeter to make, for instance. And you, if you wear four meters, then you know that you're very rich because you, you paid for all this um, material. And I think I find kind of feel connected to that type of uh, complexity and a labor. Uh, because if I make something very um, complex and labor-intensive, that gives it extra value. That makes it into a very chic uh, work, mm-hmm. and um, and that results in the the things you described before the psychedelic maniac, uh, whatever color explosions. <laughs> um, but it's also a way to be authentic. Um, and it, I think it's similar to how a lot of I don't know uh, a lot of banknotes or uh, like valuable right, checks. Right look like they, they all have these little twirly things to make sure that nobody can copy it so I also mm. feel connected to that part of the design that I make something where people don't understand how you made it so they cannot copy it mm. or they, they cannot accidentally make the same thing <laughs> um, so that's, that's all with the hunt for originality uh, and the, so, so that's not really the conscious level but I do think these values play, play a part in the, in the work you give, it, give it value by your attention and your hours and give it value by not being able to copy so easily
0: here's a question before i come up with a mantra was crashing and burning worth it
3: if i would do it over again i would probably still crash and burn but maybe stop a little earlier <laughs> okay (laughs) so a little like not 15 years but maybe eight or something yeah because i was thinking maybe like crashing and burning
0: is okay or you can learn from crashing and burning or crashing and burning is growth
3: learn (laughs) learn to crash and burn
0: (laughs) yeah learn to crash or learn how to crash and burn
3: yeah yeah um no it was definitely worth it uh, because it, I, I, um, uh, I think I, it was like a, a running and I was running for a, a sprint and not for a marathon. Right. And right, I think, right. Right. And, and I think you need to make sure that you're able to go for the mar- marathon.
1: Right. <laughs> or it, as for Neil the Young marathon, would say, <laughs> well, as Neil Young would say, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Yeah. Which still, I don't really know what that actually means, but uh, I guess.
3: Well, it's like die rust. young, and live fast, die young. It's the same thing.
1: Yeah, rust never sleeps. Another one that not sure yeah, exactly where he was never going really with that, did that, that but though, yeah. <laughs> but but no, I think they're I, no. both relevant here.
3: Like thanks yeah. to, to motherhood and COVID Corona, I have a very balanced life at the moment. That's so, great. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad
0: to hear that because it could. It sounds like it could go the other way.
2: It could have.
0: Yeah.
3: I took the right turn just in time. Yeah. Great,
1: great. <laughs> I wanted to ask how this practice has affected your eyes. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> the first time I was at the, the eye doctor, I don't know what the real word is, um, I was 40 and I thought I need reading glasses.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I, I turned out to have a perfect vision. I just needed a little bit more light. Um, but I, I do, because there's so much screen staring that sometimes my eyes like they make hiccups in some way Ah. that you really feel that your eyes twitching in some way and your screen starts jumping for a second um and i think now i'm i'm growing towards needing reading glasses but i'm 43 so it it does make sense that i'm going that direction um uh but yeah i'm I'm still (laughs) i can still see stuff you don't (laughs) wear glasses hmm?
1: you don't wear glasses either
3: No, no. Um, But uh, I do get nauseous for my own work sometimes. So (laughs) when I work at it, I zoom in, so it it doesn't make me nauseous. But when I see somebody else have it on, like I walk past by a screen where it's on, I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) 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 My stomach. (laughs) So I understand it, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, But yeah. I I feel like I could keep asking questions because I'm so interested in you and your work, but I do want to let you have the rest of your life to spend time <laughs> with other people. Uh, what What do you I think like- the mantra could be?
3: I was very, like, religious in printing. So I thought, whatever, whatever you make on screen, you make a print first. So a day without printing mm-hmm. is a day, day not lived. But that's not... Ooh, that's, so, I like
1: that. What about, like, yeah. authenticity, even though that's, like, such a fraught word? Yeah. But that, the idea that, like, something is, like, truly... That cannot be replicated, or um, like strive for the. I don't. I don't know. These mantras are getting harder and harder. Yeah, they don't are. Be
3: afraid to decorate.
1: <laughs> De- oh <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. I forgot. The, I do want to ask one final question, which is, how do you feel <laughs> about like the word decorative, ornamented, ornamental, and yeah. particularly the word that I don't like at all, fussy in the design sense it often means like there's too many things happening like it's yeah. too intricate and like it's annoying to the person who's using the word like it's
3: yeah
1: like there's too many things vying for attention like what would you how would you respond if somebody was to say that you know i don't think they're
3: right if they would <laughs> i also don't think they didn't. Decoration is the right term for my work because it's so more about systems, uh, and right. it ha- the system ha- happens to have a certain expressive look. But it's not just decoration because that feels too free, and it, it is so set to rules. Um,
1: what about like systems can be decorative or something? <laughs> or know.
0: Systems are meant to be destroyed.
1: <laughs> mm, crash and burn. Crash and burn. Crash, burn. Or and burn. crash and burn systems. I we, feel like we, we don't always we'll, have to come up with a mantra, me. but I
3: think we had a few that I, in there. I think it proves that I, I never made it to the end of your podcast. <laughs> knowing about this, so. oh, that's great. Yeah, I don't know. I was also asked twice last week uh, to describe my work in three words.
1: Oh,
0: yeah, we, we try not to do that. We tr- we did yeah. that recently, but uh, it was way too
1: nerve wracking. But, but I'm I wanted to hear what you came up with.
3: <laughs> I didn't come up with. I, I, there were students asking me the question, and I said, uh, "I had the question yesterday. Can you answer it for me?" Then I have. I did. Then I did my homework <laughs> for somebody else. Um, they said something about colorful, energetic, uh, playful, or something. I feel like we yeah. just discussed so
1: many different things that it's hard to pick one. But, but uh, well, yeah, thank, thank you, you so much
0: for your time we can connect thank you